0: Welcome, everyone, once again to Evidence for Faith. This is the show where we help Christians become thinkers, and thinkers become Christians. My name is Keith Kendricks. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Larrakis. And Mike, we have a great show today. Yes, we do. We have a very interesting guest. We have
1: a uh, a guest speaker by the name of Brett Kunkel. He's the Student Impact director, Director at Stand to Reason, and he is going to be in Millville
0: this week. Right. But before we get to him, a couple of news items. Uh, the lovely and gracious Nancy Kendricks and I went up to uh, Old Bridge uh, this last weekend. We got trained for the Truth Project. Now that is a terrific Christian worldview program. It's taught by Dr. Del Tackett, who is a seminary professor, and it's all supported and promoted by focus on the family so it's a fabulous program that you can get training on get their DVD uh, lessons and take it to your church for small group lessons so it's a fabulous thing and if you need inf- want information on that it's under the truthproject.org and just a reminder to everyone that Wednesday nights Victory Bible Church in Hamilton is still doing their series on cults, so a fabulous opportunity to get some education on cults. But there's something else going on in southern New Jersey, in Millville, in fact. It's at Cumberland Community, County Community Church, Cumberland County Community Church. Boy, somebody likes C's there. I think that's uh, Pastor Sal Roggio. They are having an apologetics conference coming up. So that'll be this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we have the speaker here on the show today. Hello, Brett. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you guys?
0: Wonderful. Brett, thanks for coming to the show today, and you're calling all the way from California. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I'm in Southern California here in Orange County.
0: Oh, well, you know, I I lived 20 years in Southern California, and I'm so jealous because the weather is so much nicer down there.
2: Yeah, it's about 75 and sunny right now, so it's pretty nice.
0: Well, we're having a great day today, but uh, maybe this winter, if you, if you feel like you need to, you could come help shovel some snow a little <laughs> bit?
2: Yeah, you know, I may take a rain check on that one.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're real thrilled to hear that you're coming out to uh, talk about the topic of apologetics uh, at, uh, down in Millville. Tell us a little bit about yourself brett tell us uh, tell us a little bit about your history your ministry
2: yeah well i am um, I spent about eleven years in local church ministry working with young people. I did uh, junior high uh, ministry high school ministry college ministry, and the seven years in Southern California, four years in Colorado and uh, with with my work with youth, I just saw. Uh, the, the, the need to, to teach them uh, not only what we believe as Christians, what we have historically held for 2,000 years, but also why we believe it, in light of all the objections and uh, the arguments against Christianity that come from the culture that the kids hear, the students hear all throughout uh, the culture, whether it's from their friends or peers, or whether it's through the media, uh, whether it's through their education. And uh, and so that was that's how I started training young people. I, myself, actually grew up in a Christian home. I uh, was really involved in a, a great church, but a church that never really uh, took us deep in terms of, of, of what we believe and why we believe it, theology and apologetics. And uh, my freshman year in college, I had a college professor, Philosophy 101, where uh, a nice, charismatic, popular teacher, and he just kind of systematically dismantled my uh, Christianity in class, and this was as I was on my way to, you know, to go to enter the ministry, to, you know, train young people, and so this raised a lot of questions for me, and I thought, gosh, if this stuff is, if this stuff is true, what, if what my professor's saying is true, you know, I, uh, he's talking about, you know, contradictions in the Bible, errors in the Bible, and on and on and on, but if what he's saying is true, then there are huge implications for, for my faith. I would, I would need to walk away if uh, in, indeed what he said was true, because, you know, I'm just a pretty logical person. If something's not true, I don't think we ought to follow it. And I think the Apostle Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. So that was a spark for me. I started learning that the faith can be defended, that there are good answers to these objections, and uh, as, I, as I was doing youth ministry, I began training my young people with that, and then uh, after 11 years of local church ministry joined up with uh, Stand to Reason, which was always an organization I had I had used as a, a resource while I was training youth, and, during my youth ministry days. And uh, so about six years ago, joined the staff at Stand to Reason to, uh, to train not only young people, but, um, but Christians in general uh, in these things on a full-time basis.
1: Brett, my experience with uh, young people in high school who then go off to college... Um, are systematically dismantled in their faith brick by brick. Um, What is the uh, current statistic uh, whereby a kid graduated from high school, goes off into the college world, and comes back um, walking away from the faith, or even a frank atheist?
2: Yeah, you know, there's been several studies that have been done. Barna did one uh, in 2006 where he found about 61% of young people who were churched during their college years, walk away from the church. Sixty-one uh, percent. Now, eventually, some of those wander back, and it's a little harder to get some of those statistics. But at some point, between the ages of eighteen and twenty-two, they're walking away. Uh, Lifeway, which is an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, Lifeway did a study in two thousand seven. They found that it was seventy percent that walk away. So whether it's, I mean, you know, sixty to seventy percent uh, from those studies. Uh, even, if you, even if you want to go conservative and say let's, say, let's just say it's 50%, let's just say it's half, uh, that, that is still a staggering amount to lose half of our young people when they go off to college. So this is, um, I think it's a, a pretty serious issue that needs, the Church has got to look at.
0: And, it, and it's not because these kids are going and, and the evidences that they have just aren't good enough To stand up against the evidences that the atheists and the evolutionists have, what you're saying is that they just never heard the evidences in the first place that are for...
2: Yeah, I I think so. I think, um, you know, the the typical Christian kid who grows up in our churches, um, typically the message that they get throughout, you know, uh, 18 years of ministry in a typical church is, love Jesus and be good. And it doesn't get a whole lot deeper than that. Uh, it just gets repackaged.
0: Right. And, uh, Which so are important things. Up. Those are important things, but they don't uh, help you when you're under attack and when you get yeah, to college. Absolutely.
2: You're right. Those are absolutely essential. So we, of course we want our kids to love Jesus and be good. But when that is all, that's the entire substance of their faith. I mean, it, uh, one thing I've been doing is— um, you know, with young people, it's just role-playing a Mormon. So I'll go into a youth group or a Christian school, and I'll role-play a Mormon. And within the first five or ten minutes, um, it's just you, you you can dismantle Christian students. They, they have actually, no I mean, absolutely no case from the Scriptures for their views about God. So beyond a few clichés like, you know, I love Jesus or Jesus died on the cross for your sins, which are important truths, there's just no substance that for them they don't know what that what that really means and then why in the world they sh- they should believe it so yes yeah, so we're sending our young people off to college and, and many of them don't even know that we have a, a defense that this stuff has been defended two thousand years by brilliant christian men and christian women and that it actually is true
1: you know it's not a fairy tale but this stuff is true The other thing uh, that we worry about, Brett, is that our kids are not being schooled, in the fact that atheism really has no substance upon which to rely. And furthermore, uh, the the Darwinian uh, evolution argument really doesn't hold substance when you look at the science, the raw science behind some of those claims, and the kids are not schooled in those items either.
2: Yeah, well, this is a really good point, and this is why, at stand-to-reason, we talk about um, not isolating our kids but inoculating them and so, you, know, an inoc- you get an inoculation to protect you from you know, a sickness or an illness. And in the same way, we've got false ideas out there in the culture like Darwinian evolution, uh, atheism, other ideas that are false ideas. and, and, and sometimes we kind of you know we, we circle the wagon and we want to kind of hide the kids rather than inoculate them. And when we isolate them, then they're, they're not equipped. look, are going to live in this world and, and and engage the world for Christ. They're going to hear these things. Who better for them to hear these things from than from us in right. the church? In fact, when I was a youth pastor, uh, we would we would take our college students through uh, Bertrand Russell, famous British uh, philosopher, atheist. He uh, he's got a book, "Why I Am Not a Christian," and we would take our college students through that book in our college Bible study. To help expose them to these false ideas, so then they're not taken back when they start hearing these things. It's not they're not going to hear these things from the first time from their college professors. We want them to hear them from us, right? And uh, yeah, and so part, I think part of that challenge is also is not just is teaching them the truth, but then uh, exposing them to the error so that they can see how the uh, the truth is true and the error is false. Uh, in fact, that's what, one of the things we've been doing to stand reason, is we've, we've kind of created what I like to call an apologetic mission trip. And we've been taking groups here in uh, California up to Berkeley, California. And if you know anything about Berkeley, it's uh, I mean it's a whole different culture. And no shortage of atheists in the Bay Area, lo- you know dominated by secular thought. And we go up there, we train young people, we take them up there, and then we purposely, intentionally expose them to atheists to uh, non-Christian students on the campus, to other ideas. You know, we, we invite atheists out from different atheist organizations up in the Bay Area, and we say, hey, come, come give us your best shot. Give us an argument why you think, you know, God doesn't exist. And then we let our students engage and, and, and train them. So we're exposing them to those false ideas in order to teach them the truth, and so that they're not taken back by these things when they get to college.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith... Our call-in number is six zero nine three nine eight ten twenty and our guest today is Brett Kunkel from stand to Reason now Brett the it sounds like all of this that you're you're teaching uh, this week down in millville it it sounds like that takes an awful lot of training. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and and your training in in uh, all these apologetics
2: yeah well um you know, in one sense, I think there there is it, it does take a lot of training, but in another sense, I want to let people know, hey, this is accessible to everyone, and in fact, that's kind of our goal at Stand to Reason is to help Christians to think clearly about their faith, but to do so in an accessible way. So it's not just, hey, this is what scholars do, but actually, every believer needs to be doing this. And uh, and so yeah, so uh, at at Cumberland County Community Church. I'll be doing a series of talks uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and then we'll also be doing a talk um, Sunday. I'll be doing a couple talks on Sunday morning. Now, my background is, you know, like I said, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And so during, I, you know, I, I got an undergrad degree at um, a Christian college in Christian education,
0: which is focused
2: on kind of ministry. My, uh, uh, my
0: alma mater, actually.
2: Biola's your alma mater? Yeah,
0: yeah, I got a master's degree uh, from from there in 07 through the uh, Christian Apologetics Program.
2: Yeah, look at that, Bi- Biola alma mater, uh, or alumni all over the country. There That's you great go. To hear. That's great to hear. Yeah, great school, got some great training. They, I mean, they require 30 units of Bible in their undergrad uh, program. So, got some great training there at Biola. Uh, but then a lot of it was just, um, you know, that... That professor challenging me created some real internal motivation to study these things for myself, Mm -hmm. and so I've done a lot of study on my own, and then uh, I'm slowly finishing up my master's degree in philosophy of religion and ethics at the Talbot School of Theology, which is a a tremendous um, master's in philosophy program, so I'm getting some great training there, and then just the time I spend at Santa Reason. Our president, Greg Kokel, has been a huge mentor, and, and the staff there, we just have a great community of people where we talk about these things on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, tell us more about Stand to Reason and, and what it offers to the uh, to, uh, people.
2: Yeah, we—you know, our mission is to help Christians know what they believe, why they believe it, and articulate it in a winsome and gracious manner in our culture. And it's to help Christians think clearly— uh, and so we see ourselves really kind of as translators. We're trying to translate uh, some of this really good academic work that some great Christian philosophers and theologians and scholars are doing. We try and translate that translate that for the person in the pew, um, for that businessman or that nurse or, you know, that, uh, the, uh, the full-time mom, uh, and, and, and figure out, hey, what's the important stuff here, and then uh, figure out... How to make the you know these sometimes abstract ideas accessible, and really help people dive deep into uh, into their faith and what what it is we believe in, and the, how to defend it.
0: And that they would find that uh, at standtoreason.org, is it?
2: It's actually str.org, dot O-R-G, stand okay. to reason str And in fact, um, we are probably about. Three weeks, a month away from launching a youth website where we are focusing on 15 to 21 year olds and uh, and really taking what we do and then making it accessible for young minds. And you know, you've got a different audience there 15 to 21 year olds. So we've got a new website that will be up and running here in the next month, and that's strplace.org.
1: One of the things that I noticed on your uh, syllabus or at least your program notes coming up at Cumberland County Community Church. And this gets back to the conversation that we were having just a moment ago. Who's waiting for you? And this would be the uh, the secular uh, argument uh, against uh, the Christian faith. What do you think would be the three most important uh, keys to inoculating our children as they enter the uh, the college scene, uh, as far as who's waiting for you? What what can they expect?
2: Um, well, I think. In that talk, I, uh, I, you know, I lay out the challenges because I think part, of you know, for for a lot of Christian parents, they just they, they're not in touch with some of the challenges that are on the, the university campus. Mm-hmm. So part of that talk is saying is opening up eyes and saying, look, here is what your young people are going to face. And then, then I ask the question, are they ready for these people who are waiting for them? They're going to run into the, uh, the the philosophy professor that I ran into. Uh, it may be a mate. it may be a friend, and are they ready? And here's what we find, is we find that, that young people um, in the Church, pretty much across the board, just, they just don't know what they believe. In fact, there was a study done by Christian Smith, who's a sociologist at Notre Dame. Did a, he's done an in-depth study, part of the National Study of Youth and Religion, and, uh, and he, he released the results of the study in his book, Soul Searching. And what he found is, and this is actually all American teenagers, it really didn't matter what faith they were a part of, what he found is all teenagers are almost, uh, he, he said, quote, incredibly inarticulate about the meaning of their faith, uh, the meaning of their religion, their beliefs and practices. Basically, what the, re- the sociologist found was that students across the board, they just don't know anything about their faith, He um, you, you know, by just a few clichés. So... So we're going to look at, then, what is the solution, you know, what, to be ready. It seems like our kids aren't ready for these challenges. What do they need to do? Well, first of all, they need to build, they need to build a Christian worldview. And that simply means that they need to, to understand God's truth and how it applies to every single area of life. That's what uh, the, uh, the researchers found. Uh, Smith and his team of sociologists found is that, that religion, you know, Christianity really operated in the background of these students' lives. And so it was only, you know, God only comes to the forefront when I'm having a problem or I need something. He exists to make me happy, but for the most part, he's just in the background of my life. And what we want to do is say, look, God's truth ought to permeate every single area of, of students' lives. So this is, what, this is what you do when you build a Christian worldview. You say, hey, here's God's truth, and how does it apply to my life, whether I'm studying mathematics or biology or you know sociology, or if I'm playing sports on a you know on a field, I mean, how do we bring God's truth to bear on, on all of life? That's developing a Christian worldview. And then, secondly, we'll talk about um, how we you know arguing for for Christianity. And I don't mean being argumentative, um, but arguing. How do we how do we make the case for Christianity, giving reasons for what we believe, as First Peter three fifteen talks about. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of that talk. Uh, on and that one's Friday night.
0: And is that focused mostly for young people there?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of focused in on college and high school students, and it's kind of a wake up call. But uh, but actually, the church is opening it up also to uh, to everyone not just young people, but even for, you know, parents and uh, and adults to be
0: there. Yeah, and we should uh, mention the address, too, for people that are listening. And now that'll be at 7 p.m., and it's 1800 East Broad Street, uh, which I believe in parts is called Mays Landing Road, but the specific address is Broad Street, Millville, New Jersey. Uh, the pastor, Sal Rogio, who wants to welcome anybody who would like to attend to come, and the phone number is 856 856- and that's Cumberland County Community Church they have a great website too if anybody needs to look up more information so tell us about Thursday night you're going to be speaking you're coming in first to speak on Thursday night and there's an interesting title to your talk here Mind Games How the Media Messes with Your Mind what's that about
2: yeah well When I talk about media, I don't mean, I'm not talking about kind of the news media, but more broadly, uh, media as uh, music, movies, television, uh, this whole medium that we have in our culture of delivering, you know, information and and entertainment and those kind of things. Specifically, on Thursday night, we're going to look at visual media. We're going to look at uh, movies and television. And, uh, you know, what we find is that young people... A Typical young person, you know, spends an average of, you know, probably around four hours per day uh, watching television. Wow. Uh, and what, you, and actually, when you take kind of all the screens that are available to a young pe- person, so TV, um, computer, uh, phone, cell phone, mm-hmm. when you, you know, all these screens, we're finding that students are spending about six and a half hours a day in front of some kind of screen. And, uh, you know, what we're also finding is that the- these mediums aren't neutral. There are messages that are constantly flowing from these things, and our young people's minds are being captured by those messages, often unbeknownst to them. They don't even realize it, and they just simply absorb it. And so what we want to do is help young... Uh, not, and actually, this is for the whole Church, it's not just young people. Right. Uh, it, it, what we want to do is help people step back and say, okay... Let's think carefully about this thing that I've allowed in my life uh, for you know for so many hours of the day, and let, let's think carefully about it. And let's think carefully how to, how do we examine the messages that come through, and how do we keep ourselves from being captured by those messages, and uh, and kind of applying you know a worldview approach to looking at these things. Is the message that's coming through? Can with with, uh, with God's message from Scripture, you know how do we evaluate these things? And we're going to look at very specific examples in culture, different popular shows, different popular movies, and uh, and examine how messages come through and how we can uh, we we can watch these things critically.
0: Is there any evidence about the harmful effects of uh, you know that many hours watching television, and um, you know as opposed to say someone who only watches an hour? per day, or maybe does twice as much.
2: Yeah, there, I mean, there are multiple um, social science studies out there on this. Uh, there was one that recently came out probably a year or two ago that talked about the harmful effects on brain development in children under two who, who begin watching TV. Uh, there are other statistics about the rate of literacy. You know, children who watch more than, I think it's like three hours of TV per day, their literacy drops Um, exponentially, uh, those kinds of things. So there are a number of indicators Mm. from social science that tell us that, you know, this much time in front of a screen um, has a a number of, uh, you know,
0: detrimental effects. I remember reading something years ago about uh, how uh, video is so powerful in affecting the thoughts of a person that, even if you know that what you're watching is not true, it will still affect how you think and And if I remember the study correctly, this actually was um, a study a a study where they showed college kids a video about rape, and in the video, it had arguments that rape was actually a good thing, and they told them ahead of time. Everything you hear in this video is completely false. And they tested them on their feelings, you know, of uh, how they felt, whether rape was good or evil on some sliding scale. Then they showed them this video, which they knew ahead of time, was completely false. Then they tested them again, and sure enough, it affected their beliefs.
2: Yeah, there are there are multiple studies of studies like this. I mean, there was one I uh, recently heard about, where men were um, shown not pornographic images, but just images of beautiful women. And there's a correlation between seeing these images of beautiful women and their dissatisfaction with their own wives or girlfriends. And so it's even as subtle as that, where, you know, um, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, men were not exposed to um, all of these images of beautiful women. And as, with increasing exposure, what we find is just dissatisfaction their current wife or so there are all kinds of effects some you know uh kind of more more aggressive than others but sometimes the effects are very subtle and uh and sometimes they're long term you know sometimes it takes
1: Of the uh, number one uh, addictions facing young men right now today is internet pornography. Do you deal with any of that in any of these discussions?
2: No, I don't, I don't deal with that. Um, I think you're absolutely right. It is a, a huge issue um, in, in the culture at large and in the Church, uh, and particularly with young men, but I won't be specifically dealing with that issue. Hmm.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. And we have, as a guest, Brett Kunkel, who is going to be speaking in Millville on Thursday. And um, Brett, the we had two weeks ago on our show, we we interviewed a young woman who was going to college, and she had just recently come from a program called Understanding the Times, a conference that was doing just what you're talking about, trying to help kids uh, recognize what they're going to face in college. and. And inoculate them. Are you familiar with that?
2: Yeah, understanding the times is, uh, is from Summit Ministries. Dave Noble is uh, we, actually our president at Sandarise, reason Greg Cochel, has partnered with Summit for a number of years now, and they have a, just a fantastic program. In fact, they have a they have a, the two week World View Camp that they do throughout the summers, and uh, it's for. I believe it's for 16-year-olds and older, and actually my wife and I have been talking about uh, when our daughter, who's 14, when she's old enough, we're going to be sending her to a summit, because uh, they just have a great program.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, the, the, the young lady that we interviewed was my daughter, and, and she said she had a fabulous time there, so it was yeah. very helpful for her.
1: Brett, yeah. I noticed that uh, one of the other talks that you're going to be giving at um, Cumberland County Community Church is, uh, Can We Be Good?, without God. Can you give us a little overview on some of the, um, um, your presentation?
2: Yeah, well, this is, uh, we're, in this talk, we're going to ask the question, what best explains morality? We discover, you know, we, we, we look into this world, we, we discover uh, moral laws that seem to press in on us. You know, there just seem to be obvious moral truths, it, it's, it's wrong to rape women. It's wrong to take innocent life for no reason and all these kinds of things that actually we find cross-culturally. We find this kind of core uh, moral values throughout culture, throughout time. And the question is, well, if we, if we discover that there are these moral, real moral laws that exist in the universe, what, what best explains these things? And what we're going to do in this talk is, is really examine um, the best explanation as God. There, there, if there's there, if there are moral laws, it seems like the best explanation is a moral law giver, particularly when we look at the details of what a moral law is. I mean, a moral law is not some physical thing. You're not going to walk outside and, and trip over a moral law. It's an immaterial thing, but it's just as real as you know as a physical object. Uh, in fact, these things uh, these things kind of impinge on our conscience, and they actually prevent us from doing certain things. You know, when you, when you start thinking about, you know, maybe, uh, you know, stealing something, there's, this, there's this, uh, this moral law that impinges. It has what, what philosophers call incumbency, which it just means oughtness. You feel like you ought to obey this. You're obligated to obey this. Now, if, if, uh, if we live in an atheistic world, these things are really odd. They just don't seem to make any sense if there is no God, Um, and uh, and you're going to have to give some other explanation of them. Which, what I'll argue is that there really isn't a better explanation than the idea that there is a good God who uh, moral laws flow from his very character and his goodness. I think so. And now, and we always we always make a, a very careful distinction in this talk. In this talk, I'm not claiming that atheists can't be moral, that people who don't believe in God can't be moral. Uh, We certainly recognize that they can be moral. The question is, what is the foundation for morality? Okay, if there are these moral laws, what best explains
0: them? Now, uh, we had a caller uh, one time, we were talking about the moral argument, and he called himself the friendly atheist, and he called in to say, well, why can't it be that morals are simply learned? We teach them to our children, and they're just learned things, and that's why we feel like we ought to obey them, because we've learned that we ought to obey them.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this, uh, certainly it is the case that we, we, we teach these things to our, our
1: children, and we pass on our different moral views. But we, we want to know where these moral
2: views come from in the first place look, if it's just something that we... It sounds like what he's saying is these are just things that we've constructed. Right. We've created them. And so whether you're going to argue that each individual creates them or each society creates them, what you have then is a form of, uh, of relativism. Uh, it would be you know, cultural relativism or uh, individual relativism. But relativism is simply a bad idea. Relativism about morality... Just suffers from from all kinds of problems, and so, for instance, let's say let's say he, you want to argue that well, cultures create these things. Each culture determines its more moral system or moral code, and then we pass it on, you know, from generation to generation. Uh, well, if that's the case, what you what you no longer have is objective. You don't have objective morality. You have morality that is relative to each particular culture. So each culture decides. But if each culture decides, there are several, there are a number of problems with that. Just a couple of them. First of all, it seems to me you lose the ability uh, to uh, to complain about the problem of evil, because if each culture decides what they want to do, well, if this if culture A decides to uh, invade culture B and enslave their women and children, uh, I'm not sure on what basis you're going to to protest that that, uh, that that option. That's simply what the Culture A has decided is right for them. So uh, you know, evil, real, true evil, simply disappears if you're going to hold that morality is culturally constructed. Uh, so that's one issue. Yeah, second issue is what um, you might call the bully issue, and that's kind of what I referenced earlier, is that you just, you, you can't, there's no moral justification for stopping one culture from doing whatever it wants. So, for instance, you know, when um, you you got Nazi Germany beginning to invade other countries, well, if that's simply what they've decided is right for them, um, they're the bully, who are we to stop them if that's what they've decided? Uh, You know, and and so this is some of the the problems you have. It it seems to bring up other issues, uh, absurdities, like the idea that, you know, one culture... One culture's behavior and moral system isn't better than another, so it doesn't matter whether or not your culture uh, commits genocide on its own people, or whether your culture, you know, protects human life. There simply, at the end of the day, is no difference. It's just, hey, this culture has decided that, this culture has decided that, and that's the end of the story. And that just seems to be absurd, I think, to our basic um, moral
1: intuition. And you know, Brett, one of the other things, and I, I think this is a big cop-out for our young people, and it's it's one of the uh, moral cliches uh, that we experience now, is that everybody seems to think that I'm a good person, and, or that she's a good person, or that he's a good person. But when in fact, there's a whole lot of stuff in their closet that nobody knows about. And uh, so, you know, the issue is not whether or not they're, they're a good person, but whether at the end of the day they're going to have a God that will... Uh, forgive them for what they, they do repetitively.
2: Yeah, and I think a great question, when someone says I'm a good person, I think a great question to ask is, well, what do you mean by good? Uh, what What is the standard that you're using to measure your goodness? Because depending on the standard, I can make myself look really good. Mm. Uh, I can compare myself to, you know, uh, an inmate in prison, and I look pretty good. But I compare myself to someone like Mother Teresa, and then I don't look so good. And so what is the standard that we're using to measure good, and is there a standard that we ought to be using? And of course, our view is that if God exists, and he is a morally perfect being, and moral laws come from him, then he's the standard by which we measure ourselves. And uh, and what we discover is that that standard uh, is moral perfection, you know, and and, and um, and, of course, we find Scripture, I think we find in Scripture uh, that no one is righteous, right? Paul talks about no one being righteous, no, not one, uh, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But I think we just find that in, in, just, uh, in our, our observation of human nature and human behavior around us. All you got to do is pick up a, a newspaper any day of the week, and you, you get a very clear picture that something is broken and twisted, in, uh, in the morality of human beings. So, uh, yeah, so what's the standard we're using? And um, if, if the appropriate standard is God and his moral perfection, well, then it's pretty clear that we, we all fall short of that. And that's, of course, that's, that's the bad news, right? Yeah. That's the bad news
0: of the gospel. Yeah, that doesn't sound right, Brad, because, I mean, if, if that's true, then nobody goes to heaven. We we'll all go to hell, then. That, that doesn't sound right. I don't, I don't think you're being very fair.
2: Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I ask, I'd ask somebody, hey, look, uh, if you commit, it, it, if people commit moral crimes, should they be punished? Now, I think we have some basic intuitions about justice. I, I have not met a person yet who would say, no, people who commit moral crimes shouldn't be punished. We all know that when you when you break the law, when you commit a moral crime, punishment is is justified. It's just. And so then the question is, well have you or I committed any moral crime? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, of course. We, we've all done things that are wrong. And so that, that, that there's punishment. There's appropriate punishment. And that's the thing about the law. I mean, I think a good analogy is the, the, uh, our justice system, our legal system. You've got a system that, that demands perfection. I mean, think about it. You could live 50, 75 years, obey every law as a citizen of the United States. At 75 years, if you commit a murder and you stand before the judge, you're not going to be able to make the plea that, well, hey, judge, this is my first murder. This is my first one. You know, for the rest of my life, I've lived a, 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 a law-abiding life. I haven't done anything wrong. And so could you let me off here? This is my first murder. Well, of course not, because the standard of the law is perfection. And we know that um, when you when you commit moral crimes, justice demands punishment, and we're all guilty in that sense. And so it's not, hey, we just got a belief wrong about Jesus or something like that, but it's actually that we're we're moral criminals, we've broken the moral law, and so we're all deserving of punishment. Uh, of course, that if that if that were the end of the story, it would be, be really bad news.
0: Yeah, you're um, not really cheering us up here, much, Brett.
2: That's where the, the, the good news of the Gospel comes in, and see, our, our good news is preceded by the bad news, and it makes sense, the bad news, first, makes sense of this wonderful, great news of, of the Gospel, the good news. And the good news is that when I stand in front of that judge, and I stand condemned of my moral crimes, and uh, as a lawbreaker, uh, when I stand in front of that judge and, and, and the gavel is pounded and the judgment is rendered, I'm guilty and deserving of punishment, what happens in the Christian story is that God then removes his, uh, his, his judge's cloak. He sets down the gavel, he comes out from behind the bench, and what he then does is offers to take our place, to take our punishment. And that's, uh, that's, that's the good news of, of Jesus. Yeah, uh, Christ's death on the cross is uh, is is God taking on our punishment, our judgment, and then He offers that as a free gift. And, uh, and when you receive that free gift, you are given a pardon.
0: So there's given... a there's an amnesty program that God right. running.
2: That's right. Cool. And, uh, and that that's grace. That's forgiveness.
0: Well, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Evidence for Faith. I'm Keith Kendricks. And I'm Dr. Michael Arrakis. Our call-in number is 609-398-1020. And we are talking with Brett Kunkel from Stand to Reason, who is coming to Millville on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights at 7 p.m. at the Cumberland County Community Church, 1800 East Broad Street, Millville, New Jersey. And you're also going to be preaching uh, the Sunday morning services, is that right?
2: That's right. Sunday morning, there are two services. Um, and actually, in the first service, we're going to do something unique. Uh, we're going to do a little role-playing. As I'm going to kind of put on my atheist hat and uh, role-play a little bit and offer a little bit of a challenge to the congregation and lay out some... Uh, some arguments and respond and, and role play with the congregation that'll be the first service at 830.
0: yeah Pastor Rogio was telling me a little bit about that it, it sounded like something similar to um, I, at Talbot do you have Professor Clay Jones
2: mm-hmm. I haven't had clay but uh, I know of clay
0: okay he I, uh, I heard a tape of him that he did uh, years back where he uh, did the the atheist professor view and gave kids the experience of of what it sounds like you had when you went to college.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what we'll be doing. And um, this is just a great way to to help people evaluate what they do know. You know, oftentimes um, it's just easy to kind of sit back and be comfortable with where we're at. And it's not until we're challenged and we're kind of exposed. I mean, that's what happened to me. Until I got exposed in that college, by that college professor my freshman year in college, I was not motivated to study this stuff. I didn't, right. I didn't realize how little I knew or, or that I wasn't able to, to give an answer for the hope that was in it within me. And so this will be a great challenge to help you know, people evaluate where they're at and really provide some motivation to, uh, to, to, to study, to show, you know, to show oneself approved. S- and uh, yeah, so that's Sunday. That's the first service. I think we're doing some Q&A in between... The first and second service, and then the second service, we're talking about tactics in defending the faith, and this is just a real practical talk where we talk about how how do you then take all this knowledge that you know we've been talking about for the last few days, and how do you then en- engage a culture? How do you have conversations? How uh, you know how do we go about interacting with with non-believers on this stuff?
1: Yeah, one of the one of the uh, images that I had, Brett, as you were talking about. Uh uh, defending the faith for these kids who are going to immer- be immersed in this uh, uh, university culture is that it 's a whole lot easier for the kids to just slide downstream with this with the current and go over the waterfalls you know once they 're challenged, are they going to start swimming upstream or are they just going to go down down with the current and then over the waterfalls? so I think that it's it 's a wonderful thing that you have with your ministry to try to uh, teach the kids how they can swim upstream and swim against uh, the current uh, of, of popular culture and, and the modern times. Yeah,
2: and uh, that's, you know, if we, look, if we're not intentional about training our young people, culture certainly is, and the culture will train them. So by default, if we don't train our young people, um, the culture will, and, and we'll lose them like we are losing.
0: This uh, second talk that you're doing on tactics and defending your faith, that, it seems to me, I've, I've been to the Stand, of, Stand to Reason website many times, and I've signed up for the email. It seems like that is a strong focus at Stand to Reason, is helping people with things like tactics.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We, we talk about um, building ambassadors at Stand to Reason. Uh, We don't want to just build brainiacs. We don't want to just build, you know, people who who simply have a lot of knowledge. But we want to build a certain kind of person, an ambassador, who represents, you know, Christ well. And we talk about an ambassador needing um, at least three skills, uh, or or having three characteristics. Uh, Knowledge, which is an accurately informed mind. Uh, Wisdom, which is an artful method. And then character, which we... We uh, talk about as an attractive manner. And so you got to have knowledge, wisdom, and character. Knowledge, you got, you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. You've got to know the message. If you're going to represent Christ, you've got to know his message. But then in the, the, uh, in the wisdom, under wisdom, this is where we talk a lot about tactics, because it's not just enough to know a bunch of facts or to know a bunch of things, but then you've got to figure out how, do you, how does this work out in a real-life conversation? What things do I say? When do I say them? Um, do I, is it my job as an ambassador of Christ to do all the talking, or maybe there's a, maybe we should be asking a lot more questions of people, because I think a lot of people, a lot of believers, feel pressure, particularly when it comes to evangelism, like they need to be doing all the talking. And, um, and we're going to talk about maybe kind of a, you know, a, a paradigm shift there and looking at uh, questions as part of our tactics. Of course... You could know a lot, you could, you could be a very great communicator, you could, you could you know, have that artful method, but if you don't also put character with it, if there's not a, you know, an attractiveness, a winsomeness, a graciousness when engaging with people, um, what you find is you're just not going to be effective. So when, when we have believers who put those three things together, who know what they believe, who live um, lives of character and virtue... And who also know how to think and know how to interact in a conversation um, can think well. What we find is a very powerful uh,
1: testimony to uh, to Christ. One of the things I love, Brett, about the uh, uh, title of this talk is the, the, the words "tactics" and "defending." Uh, clearly, reference to warfare, and obviously, it's a spiritual warfare that uh, you're trying to engage people. Uh, in so that they can uh, be better prepared to uh, uh, win that battle. Yeah,
2: yeah, and you know I think sometimes you've got I think you got people in the church who are a little weary of um, using warfare language, and certainly I think there's been some abuse of that. We, uh, you know, Paul says in Second Corinthians ten, um, he, he says that we that we we fight with weapons, right? We we're in a war but we don't wage war as the world does. He says the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. Um, well he, and then he talks about in verse five, Second Corinthians 10, 5, he says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Now, notice he doesn't say we demolish people, but we demolish arguments. And so, yeah, the faith needs defending because uh, uh, there are you know forces in this world, people in this world who raise up, arguments against the knowledge of God. And this is a serious thing. This is a serious struggle. And the warfare, uh, I think, analogies are appropriate. The Bible uses warfare metaphor because this is a serious thing. Now, of course, our warfare is different. We're not destroying people, but we are destroying arguments at the same time as we're loving people. And this is kind of the combination of uh, love and truth or grace and truth and that, you know, as Christ Christ comes in grace and truth, in the same way, we bring the truth, but we do so with grace.
0: Brett, I love this whole concept of the knowledge, wisdom, and character. Uh, It's like a trinity of of apologetics concepts. Is there somewhere we can get further information on this? Has somebody written a book uh, with this?
2: Yeah, actually, um, you can go to our website, and we actually have a talk, we call it our ambassador talk, um, where we kind of lay out a little more detail about this. What does it look like, specifically, to be an ambassador who has knowledge, wisdom, and character? So that's one of our primary talks that we do at Stand to Reason. And you can actually get online and order a CD of that talk, or you can actually download the MP3 right from our website and and get that talk right away. Uh, Also... Uh, our president, Greg, Greg Kokel, he just uh, finished a book this past um, uh, this past year on on tactics. So there's a book out there called Tactics, uh, uh, published by Zondervan, that you can find on our website as well. And that book is a, it's a tremendous resource. It, go, it just gives a lot of detail about what does it mean to be an ambassador, who is tactical, who knows... Yeah. Tactics in defending the faith. So I, you can go to our website and find all kinds of information on tactics and, and being an ambassador.
0: And Greg, I know, likes to talk about what he calls the the Colombo style questions. Can you yeah fill us in a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, the Colombo question, as we've called it, is just it's kind of a key tactic. Um, Colombo is a, the name comes from the, the the old TV show where Peter Falk was with Columbo he was an investigator and simply in a you know in an hour episode Peter Falk Columbo goes around and he simply asks question after question after question after question Until the end of the episode he solves the crime and uh, and, and that's kind of uh, the, the key to the Columbo question it's asking key questions to um, yes. to you know clarify and to expose different ideas and so the first two questions are what do you mean by that? You're trying to gather information. Because sometimes when people are talking, we just talk past each other because we're, we're using different definitions for different words and ideas. And then the second question is, uh, wh- why do you believe that? And look, anybody, it doesn't matter if you know a lot or a little about, about Christianity, about your faith, everybody can ask, what do you mean by that? And they can ask, why do you believe that? And uh, and get right in the game and get right in these conversations.
0: Yeah, they're they're and they're very innocuous questions. I mean, nobody's going to be offended by that if you ask them that. But it's yeah. surprising how you run across people with very strong views, and when you ask them, you know, what's your source for that, or how do you know that? They they have nothing to say. They they really it's it they fold. It's yeah, it's like a front.
2: Yeah, you're right. You know, what? well, it's not just Christians who ought to have an, a reason for what they believe, but right. everybody ought to have a reason for what they believe. Yeah. And like you said, what you find is if you ask these two questions, you discover pretty quickly that most people don't know why they believe what they believe. In fact, when we take college students, or we take students on the college campuses, we do what we call conversational surveys. And, you know, our students, the first time we take them on college campuses are nervous because, you know, these, these surveys help get them into conversations. But after they do their first, you know, first couple of surveys, they come back with some confidence because they realize most of the students on that college campus uh, have never thought carefully about um, their religious views or their moral views. And oftentimes we find students, you know, we ask them, you know, hey, do you believe in God? And they may say yes or no, and we ask them why, and they, they just sit there and stare at you blankly like, and, and we have students on college campuses tell us all the time, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. I I don't know. That's a good question. When you ask the why questions, you discover a lot of people haven't thought carefully about this, and it really kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off us as believers. It's not just us who need to give an answer, but everyone ought to have an answer for what they believe.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, we've had that experience here on the on the show with um, you know avowed atheists with terrific credentials and and you know professor of biology and and you know ready to debate uh, the existence of god and had about 5 minutes worth of uh evidence and 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 that was it there was just nothing else there
2: yeah this is this i think this is pretty common um when we when you we start asking questions quickly you discover that people just don't have good reasons for what they believe and they're usually maybe just parroting something that they've heard in the culture
0: exactly Well, Brett, we are really excited that you're coming to South Jersey, and once again, that's going to be at Cumberland County Community Church, 7 p.m. Thursdays, this Thursday, Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday services. Brett Kunkel, thank you for being with us on Evidence for Faith.
2: Thank you, guys.